0: Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc, or you can join us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m. Would you to do something a little odd for me. I want you to uh, take a deep breath in real quick. Just take a deep breath. Hold it there. Now let it go talked about breath and a couple of their songs there and uh when i think about breath and i think about scripture together i can't help but think about uh this story out of ezekiel uh god takes ezekiel to this valley where a battle had happened and it's just littered with dead bodies and uh god looks at ezekiel and he goes ezekiel can these can these dead bones live and ezekiel's response is only god god only you know but, like, I, I know in his head he's going, I don't know, that feels a little crazy. Like, dead bones are going to live? That feels weird. But I don't know, you're God, so, like, maybe, maybe. And he says, all right, well, I, I just want you to speak. I want you to tell these, these bones to live, Ezekiel. And so on God's behalf, he said, well, dry bones live. And they start to come together. Like, this has got to be the weirdest thing that anyone has ever seen. Like, dead bodies start connecting back together, and they start standing up, and, like, muscle starts to just show up out of thin air, and then skin covers it over, and there's these, these zombies standing there. I mean, that's what they are at this point, right? They're zombies, and they're standing there. And God looks at it and says, well, they're there, but, like, they don't have my breath in them. He says, so t- tell them, say, say win, breathe. He says, so breathe, and like God breathed life into what was dead. And he did that as just this illustration for Ezekiel. He just wanted him to know, he's like, hey, I know my nation, my people, like they are spiritually dead right now. He said, but I can make dead things come back to life. Maybe that was all you needed today. Like, I just need you to hear, like, God's breath. He can bring what is dead in you back to life. Throughout the month of November, we've been walking through this challenge together. We called it 25 Days to Grateful because we know that it takes around 25 days to build a habit. And one of the things that just naturally flows out of us, if we're honest, is it's complaints, Right? Because, like, you got this thing, it happened, and now you'd really like somebody to validate you that it is, in fact, the worst thing that has ever happened to anyone in human history. And it happened to you. Like, I get it. I've been there. Thankfully, my wife just goes, oh, honey, that was horrible. I'm so sorry. And I appreciate her for that. Um, it's good. Like, listen, we, that is our, that's almost always our go-to, Right? Like, we want to complain about the things that happened. Like, how was your day? Let me tell you about the things that went wrong. And so we just wanted to change that perspective a little bit and say, hey, instead of, let's tell me about the things that went wrong, like, tell me about the things you're grateful for. So we said, you know what, through through Thanksgiving, we want to say three things we're thankful for every day. Just journal them down. Three things. They don't have to be extravagant. Just three things you're thankful for. And maybe you're a social media kind of person, so hey, if you are and you feel like sharing that out there, hashtag 25 days to grateful, we don't want you to put that there just so everybody's like, look how spiritual they are. Like, that's not the goal. The goal here is, let's be honest, if anywhere is a place of complaining, it is social media. Like, that is what it is there for, I am convinced, it's to complain. Um, And so why not fill it with some things we're grateful for? Now, like I said, this challenge, it officially ends Thursday on Thanksgiving, but this wasn't a thing to just get a hashtag rolling. Like, it was about changing your perspective. So, man, jump into this challenge and let it roll well after Thanksgiving is over. You don't have to share it. You don't have to tell anybody, but just in your daily time with God, like, write down, what am I grateful for today? Like, for instance, today I am grateful for a church family that is about Scripture. We are about spending time in God's Scripture together. We do that in music. We do it through sermons. We do it in our life groups. And we also do it in what we call our Life Journal. Our Life Journal is this reading plan that we're going through Scripture together. And so if you're not a part of it, I'd encourage you, man. There's a number on the screen behind me. Text the word Bible to 601-601. 3976111 every sunday afternoon you're going to get a reminder about this upcoming week's readings it's just one chapter from the new testament 5 days a week and we will have read through the whole new testament together now i know what you're thinking it's the end of november like why jump into this now because you're going to start building that habit of reading scripture daily and we're going to start it again in january And we're going to do it a little bit different in January, but hey, you're going to already have that that habit built in of spending time in Scripture. So I'd encourage you to hop into that. Today, we are actually going to look at last Monday's reading together. It came out of 1 Peter chapter 4. And so if you've got Scripture with you, you can head there. If you don't, don't worry. It's going to be on the screen as well. Now, I know... This week, we're leading into Thanksgiving, like that's Thursday, you're excited, you bought some new pants, and by new pants, I mean stretchy pants, you got some, I got you, I feel you. Um, I know that's coming, but there is actually something more important happening before Thursday. See, there's Tuesday, and Tuesday is my birthday, and (laughs) it's important. (laughs) Well, that was just rude, guys. You're going to laugh about my birthday, i this is it. I wasn't ready for that. Okay, cool. Um, so I take that to mean I'm getting gift cards because you guys forgot to get me gifts. Got it. Cool. I do accept gift cards or just the Amazon email that has the little code. That's cool too. Uh, no, it's my birthday because I have a late November birthday. There have been a few times in my life where my birthday has fallen on Thanksgiving Day, and I'll never forget the uh, the year that. I was kind of younger, but I was old enough that you know birthdays weren't as big of a deal uh, for everybody else. It's still a big deal to me because I get stuff, uh, but. Thanksgiving hits, and it's my birthday, and nobody got me anything other than my parents. Like, we went to the family Thanksgiving, and there was nothing there for Tyler other than turkey, which was fine or whatever, but it wasn't presents. And I remember being kind of bummed out, and yes, I know, it's selfish. I got it. Like, I hear you. I'm big enough to admit I got some selfishness. You do, too. I just admit mine. That's fine. Um, No. I've kind of, over the years, come to the realization and conclusion that, hey, it. It's not about my birthday, and that's fine. I'm really not concerned. It's not about my birthday. Thanksgiving's about something much, much bigger. Um, but my hope by the end of this gathering is that you come to a place where you get to go, is it bigger? Is it about me, or is it about something something bigger than me? And I'm not talking about Thanksgiving. I'm talking about something much, much more important. Well, we're going to jump into First uh, Peter chapter 4, and we're really just going to read the first couple of words from it. So 1 Peter chapter 4, it says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh since Christ suffered in the flesh. And we're just going to hold there for a minute, because I, I just want to talk about that. Like Christ, if you're unfamiliar, that's another name for Jesus, kind of a title for Jesus, if you will. So Jesus suffered in the flesh. And if you spent much time around church, like you're kind of familiar with the concept. He went and he died on a cross, suffered sins. Got it. Cool. Understand. But like, I just want to camp out there for a minute and make sure we really get what that's about. Um, as a matter of fact, Peter had just finished doing that. Just back in uh, the previous chapter, he says, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, and the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. You see, Peter was talking about this whole idea of Christ suffering and specifically like, wow, what's that about? And he says the whole purpose is to bring you to God. Because You see, you can't get there on your own. There's this divide between humans and God, and that all comes from sin. And so when I think about sin, I think about the original humans, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, they live in the garden, everything's going well, but there's this thing that they don't have, and they hear about it. And it's this knowledge of good and evil. And they say, we don't have that, but God does. And so they start to get this mindset, they're like, but God's got it, and I want it. Like, I selfishly want this thing for myself. They selfishly wanted what God had for themselves, and it didn't go well for them. They didn't trust that God had their best intentions in mind by not letting them have this thing. You see, at its core, I think one of the, the reasons they sinned, one of the biggest reasons, is because sin is selfish. Sin is selfish. And they wanted something for themselves. And they got it. it. wasn't at all what they actually thought they wanted. Sin entered. Death entered. And God very graciously leans into this. And he kicks them out of the garden. And I know you're like, graciously kicks them out? Yes. Because in the garden is the tree of life. And if he'd have left them there, they'd have been able to eat from the tree of life and they'd have lived eternally in their sin. But he graciously removed them so that There could come a point where they would have that relationship with him again, the way they did back in the garden. The first murder that ever happened was between their sons, uh, Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel because he very selfishly wanted the same kind of recognition that Abel got. He wanted this recognition from God that Abel had gotten. And you know, you think, okay, the very first murder, like, stick with me. I know, like, very first murder got it, but like, Cain invented murder. He thought it up. He invented it. I mean, this is a moment where, like, I honestly, if I'm God, I step in and go, oh, you murdered? And you're done here. Like, that's what I do. But that's not what happens. God very graciously doesn't take Cain out. As a matter of fact, he very graciously looks at him and goes, hey, I know you're worried that people are going to get revenge for what you did to Abel. As a matter of fact, I'm going to make sure everybody knows that if anybody takes revenge on you for Abel, that I'm going to take even worse revenge on them. He very graciously takes care of Cain. Fast forward to the uh, nation of Israel, God's people, the people who literally get to see God carry them out of slavery using miracles. Like miracles. He travels with them in a pillar of fire. I don't know what that looks like, but it sounds really, really cool. I'm just saying. And yet these people very selfishly want to live the same kind of self-indulgent lives of all the people groups around them. These people who have never experienced God the way they have. Yet God very graciously sends judges and prophets to time and time again call His people back to Him. Think about 21st century man and woman. You would more than likely say, yeah, I need to work on my relationship with God. It's not where I want it to be. Like, that's probably a statement you would make. Yet we very selfishly spend a lot of time staring at a little light box. We very selfishly spend a lot of time in those extra moments of life going, I just need some me time. Like I know maybe this should be some God time, but like, It's been a hard weekend. I just need some me time. We very selfishly pour way too many hours into work. Like we're trying to get it all done and we're trying to accomplish things. But listen, even if you get this week's done, next week's still going to be there. You won't get that far ahead. We very selfishly take our kids and we push them into so many extracurricular things that they can't handle it and we can't handle it. And it takes away all of our free time that we could use to have our relationship with God. And we do all of these things very selfishly through all of these different areas like Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, the Israelites, us. Selfish sin is at the core of many, many, many of all of the decisions we make. And through this selfishness, We've got some issues. Think about a a pastor by the name of Matt Chandler. He talks about uh, going to see some family out of town. It's a pretty good drive through Texas, and his three-year-old daughter's in the back seat. And she goes, "Hey, do you know where we're going?" "Yeah, I know where we're going. We're good." She goes, "I don't think you do. I think we're lost." You don't even know what north, east, south, and west is. How do you know if we're lost? It's Texas. It is a straight drive. There are no turns. Like, we're not lost. You stay in the back seat. Mind your business with the Cheerios. Like, come on. How, how arrogant and self-centered is that? We do that thing to God all the time. Maybe we don't look at him and go, I think we're lost. We might not say that, but... uh. We, uh, we do it with our actions pretty often. We do it with things like, hey, I know what your word says, and I know what you kind of think about this situation, but that's really for them. That's not about me. Like Selfishly, I know that that doesn't apply to me. We give him that same kind of response. And just like a disobedient child deserves punishment, man, we do too. We deserve the wrath of God because we continually are disobeying and not listening to him. We are continually looking at him and selfishly going, I know better than the infinite creator of the universe. Sounds silly when you say it that way, doesn't it? Hebrews uh, chapter 9 kind of sheds some light on all of this for us. It says, according to the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. See, God set up this Old Testament law for his people as a way to get his graciousness, to be able to be in a relationship with him. But here's the thing about that that sacrificial system he set up. He didn't have the power to fully satisfy. At best, it could cover past sins, but it couldn't cover your future ones. The blood of bulls and goats aren't capable of that. And so that's where Jesus has to step in. See, Jesus steps in as the only person who has ever been sinless. And he takes, he gives us his sinlessness and takes our sinfulness to a cross. He he takes our unrighteousness on himself and puts his righteousness on us. He looks at selfish, self-centered people and makes the most selfless act anyone could ever make on our behalf. Look back at 1 Peter. It says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same perspective, because the one who suffered in the flesh has finished with sin. Or you could read, Because Jesus suffered in the flesh, he has defeated sin. And since he has done that, We need to arm ourselves with the same perspective that he has. We need to figure out what Jesus' perspective is, and that's the perspective we need to have in life. That's the understanding, the mindset that we should have, is the same one that Jesus himself carries. So I I took a couple of verses. We're going to look at them real quick and just kind of look and build out and understand what Jesus' perspective really is first one's out of Philippians 2. It says, "...adopt the same attitude as that of Jesus Christ, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross." Mark 14, uh, Jesus is praying, and he says this. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Colossians 1 says, He, Jesus, is the invisible image of God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, The visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him, all things hold together. Now, there are a few things I I kind of take away when I read all of those passages together about Jesus. And so the first one I took away was the fact that Jesus himself is equal to God the Father and God the Spirit, he's equal to them. He's not lesser. He's not under them. He is equal to God the Father and God the Spirit. As a matter of fact, they are one, and it's a whole confusing thing. But like, listen, if you could understand it all, he probably wouldn't be God anyway. Jesus is equal to God the Father. He is God. The uh, next thing I take away is that God is capable of doing anything. In Jesus' prayer, he says, Father, all things are possible for you. Well, if all things are possible for God the Father, and Jesus is equal to God the Father, that means all things are, in fact, possible for Jesus. He can do whatever he wants, however he wants. He's capable of all things. The third thing I learned is that creation happened through Jesus. It is held together By Jesus. And in fact it was all created for him. So Jesus created it. He holds it together still. And creation is here. For Jesus. Fourth thing I learned about Jesus. Is that he took all of that. And he willingly gave it up for a time. Jesus willingly gave up this equality with God. He willingly gave up his ability to stay in heaven to come down to earth. Why do that? You see, he was submitting to the will of God the Father. He was submitting to the will of God the Father. It says it like this in John uh, 6. It says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of Of the one who sent me. I'm here not to do what I want to do, but I'm here to do what God the Father wants me to do. And so when we kind of get this understanding that hey, Jesus' perspective is to serve God above himself, He's He's here to serve God the Father above himself. That that's his perspective. And so when we start to see that perspective, we've got to be willing to say something if we're gonna arm ourselves with Jesus' perspective. And the thing we've got to be willing to say is it's is not about me. It's not about you. It's not about us. It's not about me. And that's a hard thing to say. Like, sure, you can say it, but, like, that's a hard thing to really mean. Because when you start to track with it, when you start to really follow this, It means that Jesus coming to earth wasn't about you and wasn't about me. Did Jesus coming to earth benefit us? One hundred percent, yes. Had Jesus not come, we'd still be trying to sacrifice goats and bulls and it still wouldn't be really working. Had Jesus not come, we'd be in a world of hurt. Jesus coming to earth benefits us. But it's not about us. See, Jesus came like a worker following his boss's instructions to the T. He's making sure everything God the Father said he was going to do. So that means it's not about you, and it means it's not about me. As a matter of fact, when we really start to follow this train of thought, we start to realize that nothing in this universe is it about. See, like, think about it. We make a lot of deal out of politics and presidents. We make a big deal out of public speakers or preachers. We can make a big deal out of our family, out of our spouse, out of our kids. We make a big deal out of what kind of education we have, what kind of job we work. We can make a big deal out of how our lifelong career is going to work out. We're going to make a big deal out of all of these things, out of of our money, our possessions, where our house is going to be, how big our land is. We make a big deal out of a lot of things that it's not about the end of the day, this universe isn't about any of that. Colossians said it. It was created by him. It's held together by him, and it was created for him. It's not about you. It's not about me. if we're not careful, like, let's be honest, that can lead us to a place of going like, really? God created all of this for him? Like, is he not the selfish one? Like, you can follow it to a point to where you're going, like, where does God get off making everything about him? Like, he puts me here. I got to go through all of this stuff, and it's about him? I get it. Like, I feel that tension with you a little bit. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, like he, he's kind of addressing that tension throughout the book of Romans. And in Romans chapter 11, as he's just in the middle of addressing all of this, he actually just kind of pauses and throws out this hymn. And it kind of goes like this. It says, Have you ever come on anything quite like the extravagant generosity of God? His deep, deep wisdom. It's way over our heads. We'll never figure it out. Is there anybody who can explain God? Nope, check. All right, Um, anybody smart enough to tell him what to do? I mean, I've done that, like I've told him what to do, but I'm gonna be real, like every time hindsight starts to happen and I look at it, I'm like, well, that was stupid. Like maybe it would have worked out okay-ish for me, but it would have really ruined everybody else's week. I can't tell God what to do. I'm not that smart. Um, How about... How about this one? Have you done God such a huge favor that he has to ask advice from you? Got it. Everything comes from him. Everything happens for him. Everything ends up in him. It's always glory. It's always praise to him. It's just yes, yes, and yes. Like, Paul leans in and he goes, I feel this tension. Like, I got it. I understand the way you feel. So, said, but there's also this, this tension of the fact that he is infinite and we are not. Like, you can't fit infinite inside of us. It doesn't work that way. We're not going to understand why he does what he does the way he does it. which just not. And there's tension there. But I want you to think about this. In a universe where everything is about God, Jesus is God, he still leans in, he goes, I see those selfish sinners, and I'm going to selflessly give myself for them. And it's not about us. It's not about me, it's not about you. But yet, he still valued you. He still wants to know you. He still selflessly sacrificed everything for you. So then the question becomes, how are we going to respond to this? Like, what are we supposed to do with this knowledge? Well, that brings us back to 1 Peter 4. I'm going to read this a little out of order of what your scripture may say, but hopefully it'll help make some sense. Um, It says, Christ has suffered in the flesh, and because he suffered in the flesh, he has finished or defeated sin. It says, therefore, arm yourselves with the same perspective as Christ in order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desire, but for God's will. Our response is the same response that Jesus gave to God the Father. Not my will, but your will. It's to surrender to God's will. Our response is to surrender to God's will. Now what's that look like? It looks like putting Him in front of what you want. It sometimes looks like taking that thing that you knew it was all about and going, it's not about this. It's about God it's no longer about those things that we thought it was about. It's just about Him. See, when I think about surrender, I can't help but always kind of think about belief in that same kind of category. See, belief is knowing that God is there. It's recognizing that sin is there in us. And it's recognizing that Jesus died for us. And through this, through this little formula we've got here, heaven happens. That's belief. I believe it. It's true. I'm good with it. Surrender is, I believe God is real. I believe I am a sinner. I believe that Jesus did die for me. And I do believe that I will get to go to heaven and be with him. But I'm going to surrender my life to him in the here and now. See, so often our belief is focused on heaven and hell. It's focused on our future, but it's not worried about right now. Surrender looks at us and goes, no, it's, it's about right here and right now. It's about this moment in your life. It's not about just getting to heaven eventually. It's about who you are right here, right now. And this isn't a new tension for us, man. Uh, this is what the nation of Israel went through. As a matter of fact, Jesus speaks to them, God, Jesus, however you want to word it, speaks to them in Isaiah 1. And he says this He says, Quit your worship charades. Worship charades. He said, I can't stand your trivial religious games, your monthly conferences, your weekly Sabbaths, your special meetings, meetings, meetings meetings. I can't stand one more of them. He said, meetings for this, meetings for that. I, I hate them. I'm worn out. I'm sick of this religion, your religion, your religion. While all those time, you go right on sinning. I said, when you put on your next prayer performance, that one hit me, your prayer performance. I just had to sit there and go like, is my prayer life a performance? Am I doing it because I've, like, I've been told I need to do it? Like, I'm a pastor. I know, like, you're supposed to pray. But it is, is my prayer life just a performance? The next time when you put on a prayer performance, I'll be looking the other way. No matter how loud or how long or how often you pray, I won't be listening. And you know why? Because you've been tearing people to pieces and your hands are bloody. Go home and wash up. Clean up your act. Sweep your lives clean of your evil doings so I don't have to look at it any longer. Say no to wrong. Learn to do good. Work for justice. Help the down and out. Stand up for the homeless and go to bat for the defenseless. God is concerned with the here and the now. When he talks about our faith, when he talks about who we're supposed to be, it's really a question. Is your faith in him about you or is it about him? Is your faith a selfish faith that it's about you getting out of heaven and getting to heaven, getting out of hell and getting to heaven one day? Or is it about serving God the God who selflessly gave himself up. When I think about what it looks like to really genuinely surrender my life to Jesus, I think about Galatians two twenty. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. Like he got up on that cross, but man, it was me that died. I've been crucified with Christ. I don't live any longer, but Christ now lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. A life of surrender is defined by putting me out of the picture. When I think about the God of the universe, looking at my selfish life and going... I'm going to selflessly give myself for you. I can't do anything to pay that back. So the only response I know is to take and surrender to him. This world, your life, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. and So our response is to surrender. Our role is to surrender to His will above our will. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.